This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. You can receive all new content offered by EverythingVoluntary.com in your email inbox every single weekday for free. Visit Digest.EverythingVoluntary.com to subscribe. You're listening to AHA Parenting, where we share the secrets of happy parents. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Markham. Joining us today is Lisa Parker, co-author of the book, Attached at the Heart, Eight Proven Parenting Principles for Raising Connected and Compassionate Children. Lisa is the co-founder of Attachment Parenting International and served as their longtime director. She's now Director Emeritus. The founder of ParentsLifeline.com, where you can find her online, Lisa has a master's degree in human development. She's a certified family life educator and a trained facilitator for the Nurturing Parenting Program. She's a former special ed teacher, and she's worked as a La Leche League educator and volunteer. A mother and grandmother, Lisa continues to do parent coaching workshops and public speaking engagements, including speaking about parenting as a prevention model for societal violence. Lisa, welcome to Secrets of Happy Parents. I'm so glad you could join us today. Hello. I'm so excited. How are you, Dr. Laura? (laughs) I'm great. I'm great. Uh, Please call me Laura. And let's start with this incredible achievement. You're the co-founder of Attachment Parenting International. Tell us what that is. Well, it is an international grassroots nonprofit that Barbara Nicholson and I formed uh, 15 years ago. Uh, going, we're entering our 16th year, and it actually seems longer that we got started uh, much longer than that. But it took us that wa- uh, that long to formulate it. Um, but anyway, uh, we felt like there was a real need for parents, a real need for information, and our timing was just great because. That was just the beginning of the uh, computer revolution. And Mm -hmm. so um, just as we were starting uh, API, uh, computers became um, very popular in the homes, and then we created a website, and then people from all over the world found us and Mm -hmm. just said, oh, thank goodness you're there. I always believed in this style of parenting, but I didn't know what to call it. Or maybe they were... uh, that attached with parents and they needed support because so many times parents feel like they're all alone, no one else believes in the style of parenting that they believe and they just feel really isolated and, and alone and un, uh, unsupported. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's important to have, to know that you have other parents out there who are struggling with the same issues exactly. and have solved the same challenges. So tell us what is attachment parenting? Wow. You know, even people who um, feel like they are attachment parents wonder what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be this ambiguous thing out there. What is it really? Uh, and it has a lot of, um, you know, different profiles. It, it, and uh, that was another reason we decided to form Attachment Parenting International, because we knew that there were a lot of people out there that had read Dr. Sears and uh, Dr. Sears' books. Uh, I want to include Martha in that because they wrote them together. Mm-hmm. And they they had what they called the baby bees, and then people would take that and then add to it. And that's not to say that, uh, for instance, natural parenting, um, 
that uh, eating veg, a vegetarian diet and those kinds of things um, are quite common in attachment parenting families, but that's not necessarily what we define as attachment parenting. So what we did was we crystallized the essence of Dr. Sears's baby bees and expanded on that and looked at it through the lens of attachment theory. Because we, when we were young moms, kids were little, we started reading Dr. Sears' books, and we just thought, wow, how can we you know, share this with the general public? And we started doing our, our research and reading these incredible books. And I have to say that back in the early 90s um, is when we just started to see more and more um, violence by children. Uh, and so it was like, wow, what is happening to our children? So the first book that we read that really um, catapulted us on this uh, path was High Risk Children Without a Conscience. And so it was story after story about these children who, uh, they might have come from intact families or they might have been adopted later in life or might have, you know, a lot of different scenarios. But the bottom line was, there is a theory behind this, attachment theory, and that that scientists um, over 50 years ago had uh, researched this and found that when children don't have a strong connection with a primary caregiver during those critical early years, that would be the first three, even up to five years of life, if they can't form that strong connection, they have a real difficult time uh, forming connections with other people. And then if you throw child abuse and neglect in the in the mix, then you have a dangerous combination where we'll have, you know, we often have uh, children who are very aggressive and violent toward others because no one has treated them with any empathy or respect, and so they don't know what that is. I mean, we, we think it's common sense, but now we have the brain science to support that that shows that if that front part of the brain over the eyes, we call that the prefrontal cortex, uh, isn't developed properly, then it will uh, cause a lot of problems with uh, behavior and relationships. That's the part, that's the control center of the brain, and it controls how we, what we say, how we act, and uh, whether we can be empathic to other people. Mm. So you're saying that how we parent small children and babies determines whether they develop empathy, and that determines the kind of people they'll grow up to be and how they'll show up in society. Absolutely. I mean, um, it's, we take for granted that, oh, you know, empathy is just uh, something that that's, uh, you know, just part of who we are as human beings, but it's really not. It's something that's learned, and we learn by how we're treated by our parents, our primary caregivers, and then that extends into relationships with other children, and then as we become adults, it affects our relationships with other adults. So it does have lifelong um, ramifications. And so you think that the violence that we see in our society, not just the violence that we see children and teenagers commit, but even violence that adults commit can often be traced back to roots in childhood. Absolutely. And of course, the argument is that every a victim of abuse doesn't go on to perpetrate abuse, but every 
person who abuses has been a victim. And so if we want to stem the tide of abuse and neglect, we have to go back to the root of the problem, and that is the family. And, um, you know, we all know how little um, uh, support parents are given, and we don't give any priority to parent education classes. Um, we don't. We think that we just um, can learn on the job, and we do. We do the best we can with what we know. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes we do to children what was done to us, unless and until we have that aha moment, aha parenting here, aha moment of, wow, you know, I've got to, I have the power within me as a parent to change right here and now. I'm going to stop this intergenerational cycle of abuse or alcoholism or other addictions and it's going to stop with me and I'm going to make changes in my family and how I raise my children and it's going to be hard. I'll be honest with you on that. It's going to be hard because we are trying to reprogram our minds. All those things that were programmed programmed in us early on, we have to be consciously aware of what we're doing and we need to have support we need to have resources and we have to kind of take things into our own hands and and educate ourselves we can no longer sit by and let you know people tell us you know how to raise our children what to do with our bodies or our children's bodies and that sort of thing but you know educate yourself and this is really important if you want to make a difference in your in your family and and in time, it will make a difference in our communities and in the world at large. You know, every parent that I have ever met has loved his or her child and has wanted to do the best by that child. And I'm right. including in that number uh, people who have abused their children and that often that abuse comes from uncontrollable emotional entanglements that they have from their own childhoods. And I think always involved in that is the desire to, I know it's going to sound crazy, but to protect their child. I see moms who say, my kid isn't going to end up in jail, so I'm going to beat it out of him now, you know? And I think that that's, you're so right about parent education because that parent needs the chance to work out her own issues from childhood. She also needs to hear the research that says that when you hit a kid, he's much more likely to end up in jail than if you don't hit him. And I think that, that that's the education that we as a society, we really just fall down on the job here because we don't, well, the truth is we have not valued children highly enough and, and the job of child raising has not been seen as, a, as an important job, even though we're raising the citizens of tomorrow and what could be more important than Absolutely. shaping those human beings and our families. Exactly, and I think um, we're under this um, misperception that we've got to be stricter, we've got to be harder, uh-huh, we've got to uh-huh. be, you know, more authoritarian with our children. That's the reason, and I hear this a lot because I was a teacher, and I have heard teachers say the reason we have this mess that we're in now and kids just, you know, run roughshod all over adults is because we took spanking out of the schools, we mm. we criticized parents for spanking at home, mm-hmm. and that's not it at all. You know, they yeah. did a study, the, the Search Institute did a study a few years ago of middle school students. And they did a survey, rather. They did a survey and found that 80% of middle school students 
felt that adults did not care about them. Wow. How what what percentage just, again? Say that again. How many? What percentage? Eighty percent of middle school students believe that adults did not care about them. Wow. And case in point, in my small community, just last week, uh, we had a 14-year-old boy shoot another 14-year-old boy point blank in the head. Oh, and, my God. You know, I know that's, that, that is the reality, and it's not, you know, I'm not saying that to scare parents, but we have to wake up, you know, as mm-hmm. a society mm-hmm. that this is serious. And our, it's, not just, it's, it's not only in the family, but it's our culture. Our culture is toxic to children. It's toxic to all of us, but it's particularly toxic to our children. I mean, we can try to be the best parents that we can be, and yet when we put them out into the world, you know, it, it's, it's really difficult. And some children are real resilient, and they can resist, you know, the temptations and, and all the stuff that goes on. But some children aren't. They're so sensitive, and um, they're very affected by, by what goes on. I, you know, how many children are at home alone all the time and, mm-hmm. and allowed to be on the Internet um, you know, and they feel alone. They feel disconnected, and and that that's a, really the root of the problem. That's why we wrote the book. Is because so many children and families, and even adults, we just feel all disconnected from each other because we're all just trying to get through the day. And I know I've been there too. And you know, at some point, you have to say, you know, what am I doing? And what are my priorities? Um, how can I get off this rat race? <laughs> this rat race, you know. How can I get off the the treadmill of life? And you know, I think that's one of the best things that came out of this recession is that it forced mm-hmm. families to come back together. Yes. You know, um, it's forced families to conserve on gas, uh, conserve on eating out and and eating at home, and preparing meals and and talking. You know, maybe they can't afford the cable TV or, you know, all the little extras, so now they have to spend time with each other, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Eating meals is not just putting food in your stomach. It's about connection. So this is one of the things I love about your book and your title and the whole idea of attachment as a guiding principle in life is that attachment doesn't end in babyhood. You know, that we all have attachment needs our whole lives, and we do tend to get disconnected from each other. So I love the way that you're describing this, is that we need to honor those attachment needs throughout our lives. I mean, we have to, from an adult perspective, we know how much work it is to for human relationships, for with adult relationships, with your spouse, with your partner. You have to work on it every day. You know, marriages and relationships go up and down and up and down, and... And you have to work on reconnecting and, and showing and demonstrating love and, and talking through your difficulties and your challenges. And how much more is it for children? They don't know. I mean, we're the, supposed to be the guardians, the teachers, the emotional regulators. We're supposed to teach them those words for their feelings, the strong feelings that they're having. And we're supposed to be there to comfort them when they're you know, so out of control with emotion or sadness. And we're supposed to be there to teach them 
how to show compassion to another human being. So, and we got to work on it ourselves, but we also have to we have to teach that to our children. Mm-hmm. And you know, so many times as a teacher, I would be on the playground, and if you had teachers listening in, I'm sure they'll recognize this. Mm-hmm. You're on the playground. If children are allowed to play in your school, (laughs) they've taken that away in many schools, too. But they'll get into uh, fights and arguments and disagreements, and the children will run up, the little ones will run up. You know, so-and-so is doing this to me, or they're hurting me. And what do teachers say invariably? You just need to work it out yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't be a tattletale. Mm-hmm. Go figure it out yourself. And I just remember thinking, but they don't know how. You know, right. they, they don't have right. the words. They don't have the negotiation skills or the, you know, the coping skills. But and then eventually, in the schools that I worked in, they came. Uh, the school psychologists implemented a program about uh, using eye care language and teaching. Mm-hmm very caring language to, to use. So that really did help. But but I think, you know, we have to realize that all of these are opportunities for us to teach our children how to treat their fellow human being. But it's also a matter of respect for our children. I mean, how, how dismissed, ignored, and disrespected must children feel when adults just kind of shoo them away or, you know, speak sarcastically to them. Um, and we do that so easily and readily to our children, and and yet we demand respect from children. <laughs> but what we need to realize is we have to earn that respect. And I know that's not going to sit well with some people, but I, they are no different. Children are no different than adults. You know, we can't demand respect from other adults, can we? I mean, I guess we can if we're a tyrant, but um, wouldn't it be better if we earned that respect from from others? I think we're confused about what respect is. Mm. You know, I think, I mean, I see with my own children who are teenagers now that they're very respectful and loving and considerate, and the respect doesn't come from deference to me as their mother. It comes out of their love for me and their desire, they would never say something hurtful to me any more than I'd say something hurtful to them, right? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of respect I would treasure as a parent, the kind of respect that a drill sergeant gets. I, I, I shudder to think what that would feel like in a family, you know? Right, right. You know what, Lisa, we need to take a quick break. Okay. Um, we're going to come right back uh, to continue our conversation, and when we come back, I actually want to ask you a little bit about some of the myths about attachment parenting. Okay, great. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. where we share the secrets of happy parents. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Markham, and we're talking with Lisa Parker, co-author of the book, Attached at the Heart, Eight Proven Parenting Principles for Raising Connected and Compassionate Children. Lisa, let's talk about the myths about attachment parenting. So one of the myths I hear is attachment parenting is too hard for parents. Is that a myth or fact? <laughs> Parenting in general can be difficult. I mean, uh-huh. it's kind of a rude awakening when we have our children, the, the lack of sleep, you know, the intensity that you, know, you have to give your children on a 24-7 basis. Um, 
But actually, many parents find attachment parenting a lot easier um, because you're you're actually listening, you're following the cues of your child, you're becoming attuned to your child. In other words, say if a baby cries, you're not torn up about you know should I pick the baby up? Because as an attachment parent, you know. It's okay to pick the, a crying baby up because you know that crying is their way of communicating, and you know that by, by responding sensitively, um, that you'll be able to comfort your child without guilt. And I think one of the, the hardest things about parenting is the guilt that we carry, and, and the indecisiveness, the um, lack of confidence, and feeling incompetent to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that very well as as a new parent. I, you know, even though I, you know, I'd gone to college and everything, but I still felt very um, unprepared. Even though I had read a lot of books, and the tendency is we read books about pregnancy, but parenting just hadn't kind of sunk in yet <laughs> until until right. we're actually in the throes of it. But um, I would say that in general, parenting it has is full of joyful moments and rewards and it's so um, uh, wonderful to be a parent you just the love that you feel for your child is just enormous as you know as a mom mm. and and yet we remember those early years as being difficult I I think that it got a lot easier for me once I was able to relax. By the time I had my second child, it was I knew so much more. I felt much more confident as a mom. And those of those parents who are listening who have one child, um, not to worry. The first child's always hard because <laughs> you're you're adjusting to your new role as a as a parent, and you know there's surprises around every corner. But but. Um, I encourage those parents to enjoy the moments that you have with your children and um, just to cherish those moments and uh, and to listen to your child. When you do that, when you have that attunement or that connection, then it just flows so rhythmically. It's just really wonderful how it, how it can be. I, I know that I could have avoided with my first child so many challenges that I had because I was torn as a mom because I was hearing all these voices out there, oh, you shouldn't do that, or what, mm. he's not sleeping through the night, what's wrong? You know, I'm, I'm thinking, they're thinking, what's wrong with me as a mom? What am I doing wrong that's encouraging this child to wake up during the night and not sleep? And then I, re- I learned that it's normal for children to wake up through the night. And it's across the board and in societies around the world. But we, in our culture, have made it abnormal. Right. That if by two months or five months or six months they're not sleeping through the night, there's something wrong. They have a sleep disorder um, mm-hmm. or you're, there's something wrong that you're reinforcing that negative behavior, which, you know, could lead into this discussion on sleep training, but that might not be where you want to go. But uh, there are many myths, and that's... There are some other myths. Whole picking up a crying baby is a myth that mm-hmm. we've perpetuated for generations. And when we wrote the book, we thought we want to know where that came from. Uh-huh. And so we read. We found out actually a few years ago when we read a book by Marriott Hartley, who is an actress. She was 
probably more well-known in the 60s and 70s. She did Polaroid commercials with James Garner, and um, she's still acting. She does plays and, and some TV as well. But she wrote a book called Breaking the Silence. Her grandfather was John B. Watson, who oh. is considered the father of behaviorism. Yes. And he wrote a book called The Psychological Care of Infants and Young Children, which was a huge hit back in the 30s. Yes, yes. It was the guiding principle for a lot of parents at that time. And what did he teach? He said, do not. He didn't want moms becoming too attached to their children, so he admonished them not to kiss their babies. But if they must, kiss them on the forehead. And... um, or shake their hands as they get older, but <laughs> not to get too attached, not to pick them up, because you're reinforcing that behavior. And so the legacy that he left, well, he he and his wife at the time had one daughter who was raised this way, and she mm-hmm. was Marriott's mother. Right. And um, suffice it to say that that family has had the legacy of addictions and bipolar disorder and suicide that has run rampant. She, in her book, went the opposite way. She believed in attachment parenting. I don't think she called it that at the time, mm-hmm. but she had natural childbirth yeah. and breastfed and mm-hmm. and try, tried to be attuned to her children as much as possible. So it was really... A, and she's got a great sense of humor, so it's a great book. But that's where we learned. And then when we met her, we actually got to meet her a couple of years ago. She said, I, when I speak, now her, her grandfather was a, uh, a doctor at Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And she would go to Johns Hopkins and she would to speak against his teachings and say he was wrong. And she said, you know what the, grand, uh, the legacy of my grandfather is? And then she'll say... Don't pick up the baby, and then the, she lets the audience finish because you'll spoil it. Mm-hmm. And that, she said, that is the legacy of my grandfather, and there is no basis in fact, or there's no evidence to support that. What we know now is that's their language. I mean, how else are they going to communicate what they're feeling, what they need, unless they cry until they have words to, to do that? So that's a, a myth. It's it's going to be hard to to get rid of that one but we're trying little by little with our mm-hmm. with our book your book is terrific and I also appreciate the evidence that's out there in the new research studies that support what you're saying in your book here <clears throat> for instance about crying being um, bad for babies that we've linked it to ADHD it's linked to mood disorder excessive crying uh, in little ones and the more a baby is left to cry the more they cry it turns out not the, you know, the babies who are picked up, they cry less and less as time goes on because their cup is full and they don't need to be crying is my, right. my, my way of saying it. Their needs are being met. Yeah. There's no reason to cry. Right. You right. know, and, and many attachment parents say that people will come up and say, oh, your baby's so, quote, good. Right. Unfortunately, we label good and bad uh, for infants, but he never cries or, you know, she never fusses. And... It's really because that their need for closeness is being fulfilled, and they're, when they're hungry, they're fed, and when they need to be changed, they're changed. I mean, it's just very simple. You're right. 
Right. Lisa, I'm afraid we only have time for one more question, and I'm going to ask you how folks can find you online, both your website and the API website. Yes. Well, you mentioned Parents Lifeline, and I'm a parent consultant in private practice, so they can go to parentslifeline.com. Attachment Parenting International's website is attachmentparenting.org. And if they want to learn more about the book and read an excerpt and see what people are saying about it, and and we also have a blog there, they can go to attachedattheheartbook.com. Wonderful. And they can actually read an excerpt from the book there. Yes. Terrific. They can see what's in the table of contents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you mentioned the research. I don't want anybody to be scared off. (laughs) Too academic. It's really not. It's there for the parents who... Who, who want that, and we put a lot more research at the end of the chapters. We have mm-hmm. uh, recommended resources, websites, books, um, but we, we soften it with stories and pictures, and we think that it would be interesting um, to parents, even if they're not interested in, in the research. Yes, it's actually a pleasure to read. I didn't, I didn't mean to scare people with that. I, of course, am always going to see what the research is, the latest research. But, uh, yes, it's actually, your book is terrific. It's a pleasure to read. And it, it introduces us to um, a lot of different families and how they have put attachment parenting principles to work in their own lives so that it makes it much more accessible, these ideas, to new parents who are trying to figure out how to integrate attachment parenting into their family. And attachment parenting isn't about being a perfect parent. It's not mm-hmm. about having perfect kids because none of us do mm-hmm. and we're, none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. It's just about, you know, it might take a few generations you know, <laughs> to have a lot of le- a legacy in your, in your lineage of, you know, different difficulties and dysfunction, but it's a make, about making a conscious change. It's not about a recipe, you know, a formula for raising kids. It's just about following your heart, listening to your instincts, and and making your decisions based on your strong connection with your child. What a wonderful way to end our interview. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. It was wonderful. (laughs) We've been talking today with Lisa Parker, co-author of the book, Attached at the Heart, and you can find it online at attachedattheheartbook.org.com. Did I get that right? Uh, dot com. Uh, I think we've lost Lisa, but but attached at the heart uh, book, dot and com. you can find it online. dot com. Okay, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Have a wonderful You probably already shop at Amazon. If you'd like to kick back a small commission from every purchase you make at no extra cost to you, please use and bookmark my special link at amazonevc.com. That's amazonevc.com. Will you do me a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. 